Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Matthew Dix. It's ridiculous to be upset about not being chosen first to strip for a bachelorette party in the break room of a McDonald's restaurant. That and more. But before that, you know, here at Risk and the Story Studio, we're a small team of artists making just enough to scrape by and working what feels like 24-7 much of the time, pouring our time, our energy, our brain, and our heart power into keeping the show running. It's a definitely a, a labor of love and also, frankly, a vocation. You know, it, it's like a calling for many of us because... We love and believe so passionately in the value of the show. So the burnout and the anxiety about just breaking even and the overwhelm of producing a show that's as well put together and as complex as some other shows with gargantuan budgets and many dozens of full-time staff and all sorts of elite connections. We don't have those resources, but we do have you. And nothing keeps risk running quite like you all. First of all, sharing the show with other folks and sharing with us how much the show means to you. And one very powerful way to do that, of course, is to become a member over at patreon.com slash risk. You get tons of bonus content and other perks, plus the wonderful feeling that you really have helped this whole effort, that you're part of a family here and, and that you've pitched in. We dearly appreciate it. So again, that's patreon.com slash risk. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that is at paypal.me slash risk show. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Now here's the show.
Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. We just heard a cover of the Risk theme song by Nervous Neil Smith. You can go to risk-show.com slash music if you want to create a song for us to play on the show. This is Susie and the Banshees behind me now. And like the title of this song, we're calling this week's episode Spellbound. And we will get to all the spellbinding in just a bit. But folks, first, I wanted to ask a favor. If you or anyone you know, you know, used to be a bit less compassionate or empathetic or accepting of other people who were different, then you started listening to Risk and felt that listening to the show kind of helped you grow and change. Please email me. I'm at kevin at risk-show.com and I'd love to hear about that. No matter what month or year you're getting around to this episode and hearing me saying this right now. Now, when it comes to this spellbound theme, in a little bit we're going to hear from a literal mesmerizer, Marites Zerbano, a master magician and hypnotist. This woman's work is a world of wonders, and I will say more about the one-of-a-kind Marites later in the show, but you can find her on Instagram at Marites Zerbano. But before that, a returning favorite, Matthew Dix, the author of Story Worthy, Engage, Teach, Persuade, and Change Your Life Through the Power of Storytelling, a fantastic book. I can highly recommend it. And here's Matthew Dix now at the Risk Live show at Caveat in New York City with a story we call Still Got It. It's the spring of 1991. I'm 20 years old. I'm flipping burgers in a kitchen of a McDonald's in Milford, Massachusetts, when my manager, Pam, grabs me by the arm and she yanks me into the walk-in cooler. She tells me she has a question to ask me. Pam is 40, but she desperately wants to be 20 again. She's the woman who buys us kegs, but she insists on delivering them to the party and hoping that one day we'll ask her to stay at the party. Pam tells me that another manager in our restaurant, a woman named Lisa, is engaged and they're going to have the bachelorette party in the break room of the McDonald's restaurant. And I nod. I have no idea what a bachelorette party is, but I like to nod when I don't understand something so I don't look stupid. (laughs) Then she tells me they would like me to be the stripper for the bachelorette party. And I say yes instantly for two reasons. One is I'm 20 years old. I'm a man. That means my brain is not fully formed yet. I can only see like five seconds in front of me at any one time. So I don't understand what this yes will yield in the future for me. But more importantly, I'm standing in front of a woman who is old enough to be my mother, but it is still a woman and she wants to see me naked. And this is an unusual thing for me. I managed to get girlfriends, but my strategy is proximity. 
I stand as close as possible, as long as possible, to a girl that I'm interested in, and I just kind of wear them down. I am love's version of erosion, and it works sometimes. Eventually, they turn their heads towards me, and they go on dates with me. But apparently, Pam and some other ladies want to see me naked, and that is exciting for me. But I tell her I don't want to be completely naked and she says, we do not want you to be completely naked either. She says, I'll get you a thong. I have no idea what a thong is, but I nod because I don't like to seem stupid. And so she says, come on Saturday night and I'll meet you and we'll set you up. And so when I pull into the parking lot on Saturday night, I'm wearing my McDonald's manager's uniform because they've asked me to strip out of this outfit. I'm really excited about what is going to happen. I, I think it's an actual opportunity that this is going to like yield something meaningful in my life and it's going to make everything better. And I really feel that way until the moment I walk into the restaurant. And the first thing I notice is that it's all guys working all the stations because all the ladies are in the back. And that's weird when you walk into a restaurant. It's just a bunch of dudes staring at you and they're all staring at me. And I do not know what the stare is, but it is universal and it is disconcerting. I do not like the look they're giving me. So I put my head down and I go all the way to the back of the restaurant. There's this long hallway in the back where the Big Mac buns and the hamburger buns are stacked. And that's where Pam has told me to meet her. And that's where she's standing with the thong. And so she hands me the thong and she says, put it on and then meet us at the break room, knock on the door. And so I get to see a thong for the first time, which is essentially like a sandwich bag with like two elastics on it. And so I hide behind the Big Mac buns and I take my pants and underwear off and I'm not being grandiose about my situation in any way, but like Pam has not sized the thong very well. Like if you've ever tried to put something in a Tupperware container and as you're pushing it in one side, it's popping out the other, like that is what is happening to me behind a rack of Big Mac buns. It's a Happy Meal size version of a thong and it's not working out very well for me. But I managed to get it on. It is uncomfortable. I put my pants back on and then I'm holding my boxer shorts. And I wonder what I should do with them. And it's the first moment when I start to realize I may have made a bad mistake here <laughs> because I haven't planned for the boxer shorts. And if I haven't planned for these, what else have I not planned for? And so I stuff my boxer shorts into the Big Mac buns. They're in plastic, it's fine, it's very sanitary. And I sort of pull myself together and I go to the break room door and knock. When the door opens, Pam hits play on a boombox and Madonna's Lucky Star begins to play. And I think this is good, like music makes everything better. And then I step into the room and I realize how terrible all this is going to be. It's a little room. It's a 10 by 10 room and it's filled with women. And for some reason it has not occurred to me that I know them all and I work with them all the time. There's a McDonald's booth in the break room and it's just packed with girls who I work with. And then the bachelorette, Lisa, is standing there and I can tell by the look on her face that she did not know that I was going to be the stripper. And I can tell now that she and I are the only two people in the room who think this is a terrible idea. <laughs> Next to Lisa, there is Alice. Alice Tingley is like this 68-year-old lady who's been like my grandmother for the past two years, but she's sitting next to Lisa, and she's way too excited. And Pam is sitting on a track. It's, it's a disaster. 
it's one of those moments in your life where you've realized I've reached a point that I do not want to be in, but the only way to get out of this situation is to actually go through with it. <laughs> and so with Lucky Star playing, I begin to strip. I start with my shoes, they're business casual. I've double bowed them because that is who I am. So it's not like really, there's no sexy way to remove business casual, double bowed shoes, but I get them off the socks. They're up to my knees, they're black dress socks. It's not good. When I'm done getting them off, I don't know what to do with them. I've never been in a strip club in my entire life except for this one of my own making at this moment. I imagine that maybe in a real strip club, the guy would throw the shoes out to the ladies, but like, the ladies are right here. If I throw them out, it's gonna clock Alice right in the head. So instead, I ball my socks up into the shoes and I place them by the door neatly because I've decided I'm going to get the hell out of here as quickly as I can. Next is my shirt, it's a dress shirt. I go to pull it over my head and I have forgotten to unbutton the buttons on the collar. So as it comes over, it sort of forms this reverse straight jacket. And if this has ever happened to you, you know that the laws of physics preclude you from ever being able to unbutton these buttons when they are reversed, which means I now must put my shirt back on in front of the women and unbutton the collar before getting it back out. And then I fold it neatly and I put it on top of my shoes. And then I just have my pants and they're the easiest thing because I undo the belt, they're gonna drop to the ground, but it's also truly at least up until this point in my life, one of the hardest things I'm ever gonna do. And so I pause for a moment, hoping that maybe this is the moment when an asteroid will strike the Earth and we will all be wiped out and the next moment will not have to happen. But the Earth continues to spin and nothing happens and so I undo my belt and my pants drop to the ground. And the first thing I realize is Pam has done a fine job with this thong. Because the moment the pants hit the ground, everything sucks in and now like the thong is roomy. There's like room for me and a lot of other things inside that thong. And so I am standing in front of 18 women I work with on a daily basis in a tiny orange thong. And I look like I look today. It's not like any better than it is right now. And I don't know what to do because Madonna is still playing. And because she's playing and I am almost naked and I don't know what to do, I dance. Don't imagine it. Just know that it happened, please. Don't put the image in your mind. Just know that Way back in 1991, there was a 20-year-old guy who danced in an orange thong in the break room of a McDonald's restaurant <laughs> in front of all of his female co-workers. And when the song ends, it's three minutes and 18 seconds long, and it is the longest three minutes and 18 seconds there ever was, I collect my clothing as quickly as I can, and I run back to that back hallway. I retrieve my boxers, I get my clothes back on, I stuff that thong into my pocket because like the Marines, you do not leave a man behind. And as I'm leaving, as I come around the corner, Pam catches me. She's so happy with what has happened and she hands me $100, thus turning me into a professional stripper that night. And so I... I'm upset now, because now I understand all the things that happened and how stupid I was. And as I'm passing through the kitchen, I see my friend Brian Lowe. He is pulling filet of fish out of a vat, and he's looking at me, and he's shaking his head. 
And I'm so mad, I say, what? And he says, I just can't believe you did it. When they asked me, I said, no, like right away. <laughs> and so I was not the first who was asked. And I will quickly find out that I was not the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth. Pam eventually made her way around the restaurant to the one idiot who would say yes. It's ridiculous to be upset about not being chosen first to strip for a bachelorette party in the break room of a McDonald's restaurant. But I was. There's just a moment in your life when you want to think or believe that you are the good-looking one in the room, or at least a good-looking one in the room. And I really thought that that night, that was the reason I was asked. And it wasn't. But I still have the phone to this day. One thing I got from that night that I still have. Thank you very much. This thing right here is letting all the ladies know what guys talk about. You know, finer things in life. <laughs> Check it out. Let me see that thong. Uh, baby. Uh, that thong, the thong, thong, thong. I like it when the beat go. Baby, make it booty go. Another nigga could handle it She's shaking that thing like who's the ish With a look in the eyes so devilish Hey, looks like it's time for some ads. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. I was raised in Willowbrook, Illinois, and I finally got to the big city, Chicago. I got a job at Water Tower Place Mall, working at this chocolate chip cookie factory, making oversized cookies. When I put the pink frilly apron around my waist, the manager told me I looked like a, the undocumented version of Snow White. So I'm waiting for the bus stop after work, freezing cold, and these two women walk up to me holding a paper bag. One of them says, hey, did you lose this? And I said, no. 
And they opened the bag and uh, they pulled out $10,000 in cash. Well, it looked like $10,000 to me. I was 18 years old, right? And I said, well, you should turn that into the police. And they said, oh, the police would just keep the money for themselves. It's probably drug money. You know what? We should launder the money. We should deposit $10,000 into your bank and withdraw $10,000 in fresh bills. Well, I don't have $10,000. Well, how much money do you have? Uh, 300? Look, if you can only launder $300, we'll launder the rest and we'll still split the money in half. That's $5,000 each. Now look, I have always wanted to live above the law in a world above the rules, like a part of uh, Al Capone's gang. I wanted to have backroom conversations, secret handshakes, and a family that would do anything for you. A family that would take care of you. Yes, yes, I will help you launder the money. So we went to my ATM and I gave them $300. Great job, listen. We're going to go to our bank now. You hold on to the bag. We trust you. We'll be right back. So I watched them get in the car and turn the corner. I am alone. I look in the bag and I find that it's full of nothing but cut slips of paper. Now, yes, I was really upset because that was my rent money I don't know how I would make that up, and I don't talk to my parents. They're in California, and I thought we were cool. I mean, you know, they're black, I'm Filipino. Like, we're friends, and it's so lonely living in the city when you just moved here from Willowbrook, Illinois. I thought we were going to do, like, you know, sleepovers. We'd, we'd paint each other's nails. We'd be each other's besties. I mean, I guess I was, yeah, I was 18 years old, sure. <laughs> well, I did find out later on that that, is one of the oldest cons in the book. It's called The Pigeon Drop. And as I got on the bus and I was crying all the way home, I, I swore to devote the rest of my life to studying the art of deception. That idea stayed with me for four years. Because in those four years, I was very happy. I went to art school. I fell in love. I mean, why would you study the art of deception? Who cares? <laughs> to be honest. But four years later, I had to get an abortion. And I broke up with my first love. And as I was laying on the floor, drinking another gin martini, listening to Billie Holiday as one does in Chicago. I crushed a cockroach on the floor and I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to study magic. <laughs> so back then, if you want to get anything done, you look in the yellow pages. And so I look under magic in the yellow pages and there's this place called Magic Incorporated in Germantown on the north side. I took my bike and I, I biked up there. I walk in the store 
The floor is red carpet. The walls are red. There are glass countertops all around the room, like giant jewels. And in these clear jewels, you look in there, there are glass shelves. And on each shelf is a little device, and they're labeled. One is an egg vase. One is you know, a finger chopper. There's something called a chink-a-chink. And at the time, I thought, oh, okay, it's probably racist, but whatever. <laughs> and then next to that is a little metal thing called the Jackbox. And, you know, I'm from Chicago. I'm used to this. I'm like, oh, okay, that's probably racist too. But, you know, white people are fucking stupid. So that's fine. You know, I'm here to learn. I want to be in this world. And there are all these giant posters of these white men in tuxedos with giant elephants and magical puffs of smoke. And to me, at that time, I thought, you know, this is magic. This is this is the history of magic, and I want to be a part of this history. Before I arrived, I called the shop to ask about magic lessons. So this little guy comes out of the back room with a very nicely trimmed white beard. He looks like a Santa Claus in real life. His name is Bob. Very kind, deep voice. He said, oh, so you want magic lessons. And so he takes me into the back room and so I thought oh I get to go into the secret area where all the magic happens and it looked like a giant circus it was painted yellow and there were little you know, those little stands where like elephants kind of stand up in the circus and he sat there and he took out two pearl knives and then he showed me the knives were white and he shook them and suddenly they turned red and he let me examine them and they were these very expensive pearl knives. I thought, wow, I mean, this has to be real. I mean, it's expensive. I mean, <laughs> like, we're not fooling around anymore with, I don't know what stupid magic, this is real magic. And he, he gently held my hands and we did, we did card magic and I didn't feel like... He was your regular Chicago creeper. He he was really a very, very soft-spoken. And what I realized is that um, all the guys, well, almost all the guys at Magic Incorporated were so nice to me. And everybody was, you know, happy to share a, a new sleight-of-hand thing. They learned how to multiply coins in your hand or make fire appear in the air and we'd meet every Saturday and new people would come in all the time and like random police officers off duty be like hey you know what you do is you you get a bumper sticker from the policeman's ball you put it on your car and they'll never pull you over like stuff like that like just really like insider information and I felt more and more like a white guy all the time now, hold on, I'm from Chicago, so to survive, I really didn't see myself as, like, a regular Filipino person. I saw myself as, like, one of the white people, and maybe I could be a white guy, and I could have my own magic show, and it just seemed like I was surrounded by all these dorky white guys with thick glasses and pocket protectors. They did an okay job doing magic, but I felt I was cuter and younger, and... And why not? 
I decided to move to Las Vegas and become <laughs> a professional magician. That shop was owned by Frances Marshall and her husband, Jay Marshall. Frances is a very famous female magician. And I realized all these guys in magic in Chicago were very kind to me because of Francis. Francis just subliminally created this community of respect for women. And we were such a tight-knit community that her husband, Jay Marshall, who turns out to be a famous magician, he knew Frank Sinatra, he was the dean of American magic, he gave me the number of someone in Vegas to contact. He said, here, here, you should call this guy Bill. Yeah, yeah, he's a little black boy. He'll show you the way. Well, I got to Vegas and it turns out Bill was not a little black boy. He's a 65-year-old black man. <laughs> but that's part of, that's part of Chicago. And these guys, you know, whatever, that's fine. You know, that's how they do whatever. I just want to learn magic. So, I call up Bill, and Bill offers to drive me to the Las Vegas Magic Club meeting. I get into Bill's car, and he says, Hey, hey, have you ever seen this before? And he hands me a $5 bill, but instead of a person in the portrait area, it's a woman sucking cock. And he handed me another bill, and it was a $10 bill, and same thing. The portrait was a woman sucking dick. And I said, oh, yeah. I didn't even react because I wanted to be part of the club. I wanted to be one of the guys. I want to be cool. I wanted to be, you know, just not even phased. So Billy and I walk into a room. And this is the back room where it's just white painted walls with stains of soy sauce. And Billy says, well, let me let me let you meet the big man. So we walk up to uh, this wall of a man. There's a group of people around him talking and Billy interrupts. Hey, uh, Darwin. There's a friend here of Jay Marshall's and this 300-pound man in a tuxedo, by the way, in a black tuxedo, turns around and looks at me. He has this comb over and he says, well, you're from Chicago, huh? I hope you're hungry. Here I have two Italian meatballs. And what he's talking about is he's holding two red sponge balls. He says, well, which one would you like? Ball number one or ball number two? He's pointing to each ball. I say, uh, ball number one. He says, okay, I've got mine. You've got yours. Hold tight. He holds up his hand. Now blow. So I blow in his hand and he opens his hand. It's empty. And he says, what is that? Garlic? Open your hand. And then I suddenly have two red sponge balls in my hand when there's only one. And he says, hold on to my balls, squeeze gently. I'm gonna cough. <coughs> Did you feel anything? Open your hand. And suddenly those two red balls become three. They're multiplying in my hands. And he says, well, now you have three balls. 
Walk proudly. Now I have three balls. It's what kept me out of the army. Hold on to my three balls and squeeze tight. Now I want you to wish for your fondest desire. Let's see if your fondest wish comes true. Open your hand. I open my hand and the balls have transformed into a giant red sponge penis, which jumps out of my hand and it's so fucking stupid. I'm like, ah, and I'm laughing because it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I don't even have time to be offended or any of that stuff. It's just like, I am in another planet. I'm an anthropologist. I've gone back in time and I've met this caveman in a tuxedo who's handing me a red sponge penis. It's just, I want to take notes. <laughs> and to be honest, that was the moment I thought, you know what? I had better stick around in this world because someday I'm going to write a book and it's going to be a movie and I'm going to star in it and it's going to be great. Anyway, he says, well, you should come over to the house sometime. I've got a magic museum. I've got over a thousand feet of book. So I drove to, to Gary's house and um, there was a wagon wheel stuck in the, uh, the driveway. I walk up to the house and there's little mother goose figurines in the driveway as well. And I look in the window, there's pink frilly curtains. And I think, is it possible this is the house that houses a, a multi-million dollar magic collection? I ring the doorbell and I hear little dogs barking. When Gary opens the door, there's these two little fluffy dogs with pink ribbons in their hair <laughs> jumping up and down. He says, well, welcome, mom, we've got company. And I walk in there and again, there's these pink frilly curtains, a pot of something on the stove and there's a dark room with this looks like a bottle of bourbon on the floor and cigarette smoke trailing up from the, the armchair. And he says, Mom, I've got company. And this old lady head emerges from the side of the armchair and she says, Gary, be careful. She's only after your collection. Mom! Well, come on, I'll show you the library. And we walk into the library and it's lined floor to ceiling with magic books. And in the middle of the room is this stone statue of um, Merlin, you know, with the, with the blue pointed hat and the gold stars. And he shows me to this place that once was the garage and it's full of, it's a guillotine and red lacquer boxes and drawers that are labeled cigarette magic and coin magic. These hand-turned ephemera. I, I don't know what any of this stuff does. I, I just know that I'm somewhere very important. He shows me uh, this billiard ball and he has it in his hands and he, he kind of wiggles his fingers and the billiard ball multiplies into two. He wiggles his fingers again into three, wiggles them again into four. Now he's holding four billiard balls in between each finger then he does another thing with cards where cards appear and vanish. And then he has 
these Eisenhower dollars like they used to use in the slot machines in Las Vegas. And he would take them and he said, okay, look, look at this. These are Eisenhower dollars. Check this out. He, he had them in his palm. He puts it behind his back and then he brings them forward again. And all of a sudden all four Eisenhower dollars are balanced on the tip of each finger. And he says, look at that. Not even the old man Nelson Downs could do that. Look at that. No rosin. Not many people could understand Gary because he talked like that old 50s talk, you know, like uh, like Sammy in the, the back room and comps and uh, the whale in the room and just this, this Las Vegas talk. I wanted to be him. And he said, well... Look at this. Have you seen this? He takes out a cigar box and he removes a Polaroid and he says, well, have you seen anything like this before? And it's a Polaroid of a woman on all fours, nude, with her breasts hanging down. He says, I like them all natural. I don't like silicone. You can chip a tooth. And I'm like, ah, this is funny. And he says, he shows me another Polaroid of another person. Uh, she's topless. He says, yeah, you give a girl $5 in this town, she'll lift up her shirt. And I was thinking, like, I'm a white guy, like, wow, that's so cool that you're so powerful that, you know, you can get anything in this town. You know, you can get a girl with a first shirt. That's, that's amazing. Good job, man. You know, and I just felt like I was being part of the fraternity. And if I could be a guy, then I could learn how to do magic tricks. I could be a, a gangster, a gambler. I could be just like Al Capone. And he said, well, yeah, let me, well, you want to borrow something? I, so I, I borrowed uh, the Encyclopedia of Magic. He said, now read up on that. You, you want to know all about the history. So like I was... um. I got a job as a, a casino dealer. And because like I don't go to work until two, I'm free, right? So he's a bellman at the Riviera Hotel. So I would go to the Riviera Hotel anytime I wanted to. And he was in his bellman outfit. He would walk with me to the back room where all the bellmen hung out. They sat in a semicircle and folding chairs around a black and white box TV among all the luggage. No one is checking if I have an identification card. I just walk back in there and he says, well, everybody, this is Mari. She loves magic from Chicago. And we'd sit there and he'd like teach me how to make a coin vanish in the pier and he would correct me. I was like, look, Skywalker, he was my Yoda. He was going to teach me how to become the greatest magician in the world. And by his actions, you would think that. But then he'd say shit to me like, you know, the girls are just taking away the jobs that belong to the guys. And then in the next breath, and the next time I'd see him at the Magic Club meeting, he would say to people, well, no one takes notes like Mari Tess. She's always taking notes at these meetings. You know who else takes notes like that? Copperfield. Copperfield would take notes like that. He would tell people, she's got these good square hands for sleight of hand. You show her something and she just does it. A great talent. And then he'd say shit like, you know, all the girls want to do is have babies and stay at home. So I, I just had to ignore him because clearly, I guess he liked me, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> And we, we were like family. 
Because he was magic royalty, he had comps to every single Las Vegas magic show. And back in the 1900s, every single casino had a major magic show, so I would go with them. Now, at the time, I thought, well, I was just his star student. In retrospect, that optic looks like maybe dirty old man with a Filipino mail-order bride, which is very uncomfortable for me to think about now. <laughs> but at the time, it was great. It was really glamorous. You would get the best seats in the house. The magicians would come out after the show and ask Gary for his opinion. So yeah, I, I felt like I was I was part of that magic royalty. Like I I belonged. I lived in Vegas for seven years and I, I had to move away because it was just so fake and so horrible. Like, that's not actually the fucking Eiffel Tower or the Riviera. Nothing was real. I would touch something and it would not be actual wood. I would touch a vase and that would not be actual ceramic. That would be resin. It was maddening. So I accepted an artist in residency in New York and I moved to New York. And I would visit Gary a lot. I would fly back to Vegas to visit him like two, three times a year from New York. I would always sleep on his floor, uh, no problem. And one time uh, I was visiting him and we were sitting around and usually what I would do is I would sit with him for hours. We talk about magic, you know, practice magic. Well, anyway, he said, well, I want to show you this new bodybuilding video, Mari. I said, no, that's okay. Because I knew he was fucking creepy, right? It was going to be something creepy. And I'm like, no, no, no thanks. He's like, uh, no, it just takes a second. It's, she's Filipino. Tremendous body structure, those calves. It'll just take a second. I'm all right, Gary, it's okay. He says, it's just going to take a minute. And I said, no, I'm good. I don't need to see this. And I walk out of the room. He follows me across the room and he says... What's the matter? You can't just watch this for 10 seconds? All these years, kid, I've been giving you free magic lessons. And all you've got to do is, is watch this one thing. You know what, kid? You're cut off. And uh, I was so, I was so fucking mortified. I, I like hid in the back room. There's one room where it's all chrome magic. And I, I slept in the chrome room. It was cold and... We didn't talk the rest of the night, and uh, it was Thanksgiving, too, by the way. <laughs> so the next morning, I, I changed my flight I just, to go right back to New York, because I, I just don't want to handle this bullshit, and um, I let him show me the tape, right? And it was, like, this Filipino chick in a bikini, and she's just flexing her calves as they do in these, like, amateur bodybuilding videos. See? That wasn't a big deal, was it? I'm like, yeah, I, I gotta go. But after that day, I don't know. I guess we just weren't as close anymore, you know? He couldn't show me, like, weird porn shit. And, um, yeah. Finally, the call comes. One of the biggest casinos in Las Vegas wants me to perform in their showroom. Finally! They recognize the true greatest magician in the world! So... They said, okay, listen, we want you to do a Chinese act because we have this new Chinese pagoda room. You would match the decor. 
So what we want you to do is, you know, have a whole Chinese thing going on, you know, like the outfit, the magic, you know. And I said, yeah, 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 anything, anything. You know, I'll, I'll fix this later. You know, it doesn't matter. I'll do it. And they said, okay, we want you to audition at this venue in Hollywood, this magic venue in Hollywood. You work there for a week. The entertainment director from Vegas comes out to see you. It'll be great. So I flew to San Francisco, Chinatown. I got this Chinese robe. And then I had this this guy make me a, a table with bamboo on it. And then a little, you know, lettering on this box. And uh, it was really, really stupid. So I... <laughs> The, the show was peppered with all these Don Rickles and Henny Youngman jokes, just like Gary told me to. He said, well, I want you to be the female Don Rickles. I want you to get out there and, and blow them away. And so I walked out there and I said to everybody, hey, everybody, have you seen my cousin on too long? Yeah, I'm from the Orient, Orient Heights. What is this, an audience or an oil painting? Wow, it's so quiet in here. I can hear the zippers in the men's room. And then I would do some magic. And then I would say other horrible things. And I ended the show with, well, you know, it's not the size of the wand that matters. It's the power within. Good night. Now, of course, I, I did not get that job. And Gary reprimanded me when I got back to Las Vegas. He said, you know, they wanted to kick you out the first night. I said, you know, you told me to say these things. So humiliating. I thought, God, you know, the I am truly a highly skilled magician, but I've just made a fucking fool of myself in front of all these influential people. So I thought, you know, the I think the only way to fix this is if I competed in the world championship of magic. And I just started to train for it. And I told Gary and he said, well, you know, you got to practice eight hours a day. So it was like a Rocky moment. Like, cause I said, you know, we're going to train for the world championship of magic. And he's like, well, you better do billiard balls because the judges won't know what they're looking at. That's a high skill trick. They won't even know what a triple roll is. You know, and I was working on it. I kept dropping the balls. And I said, ah, oh, I can't do this. And he said, no, you can do this. And suddenly I did it. And the world championship was is in a different place every year. It's just like the Olympics. It changes countries every three years. So that year was in Lisbon. And when you go to the World Championship of Magic, it's uh, it's like any convention with you know high ceilings and people speaking different languages, and everybody being total magic dorks, but in their own culture. So people are wearing all black, but they're from Brazil, or they're they have glitter shirts on from China. So it was. Like, the, this Harry Potter shit is so fucking pedestrian. It's, it's not even real. Like, it's... The real magic is fucking awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the World Championship of Magic. And now, presenting all the way from Chicago, Illinois, it's Marites Urbano. 
I didn't win anything, but like, I, but like that guy left me a note at the end. Like, uh, you didn't win anything, but good job. So these days I live in Seattle taking care of my little kid and I'm just sitting at the bank, getting a new ATM card, looking at my parking and I get a text from a famous magician with the 702 area code. And he says, uh, Gary's not feeling well, you better call him. And I, I barely even talk to Gary anymore because he's got dementia and he's always, all he does is parrot Fox News. You gotta get the immigrants out. You gotta get the immigrants out. It's just, he's not making any sense. He's not his funny self anymore. But I call him and he says, well, I wanna go see mom and dad and baby brother. Now, this is really weird because usually this is the guy with the unflappable spirit. When he lost a leg due to diabetes, he said, if I can't dance, I'll sing. If I can't sing, I'll draw. If I can't draw, I'll do magic. Doesn't matter. And so for him to say he was ready to go was a big deal. And I said to him, oh, you'll be fine. And he said, oh, you don't know how to say goodbye, do you? And I said, you know what? I'll be there tonight. I left my kid at my ex's place. I threw everything in a backpack and I just walked onto a plane three hours later, which I've never done. It's just so crazy. So there I am on the flight and I tell the people next to me, yeah, I, uh, my mentor is dying, which is why I'm out going out there. And they said, oh, and they settled back in their seats. And I realized, oh, okay, this is a big deal. Cause I, I never actually had the deal with death before this. I walk off the plane, my good friend picked me up and she drove me to the hospital and I, I was standing there in the hallway looking in this dark room and uh, I said, what the fuck am I doing here? What am I going to do? What am I going to say? She said, just go in there and hold his hand. I walk in there and the sheets rustle. The old master's eyes crack open and he looks at me. His lips part. He's about to to share with his star magic student the last bit of wisdom before he leaves this earth. And he says to me, Hey, Mari, why don't you get in bed with me naked? If you were not in that hospital bed, I would strangle you. Which, of course, we both found hilarious in our own ways, and I knew he would make it through the night. What happened over the next two weeks is that we ended up bringing him home to his magic museum in a hospice situation. I was sleeping on the floor in a blow-up bed with another magician on the other side, sleeping there too. And um, I don't know, I, I kind of got bored while I was there, so I started dusting. Now, I do not clean I don't dust because uh, I'm a brown-skinned woman. I don't want to be seen cleaning. In this case, I was just bored, and so I, I started dusting his memorabilia. I picked up these uh, mugs with magician faces on them, and I, I dusted them off, and I, I picked up little toothpick holders with magician faces on them, little Mickey Mouse magician figurines, dusting those off. And underneath the second shelf in the corner, that's when I saw her. It was a bust of Cleopatra, which at first glance, I thought, oh, that's amazing. A 
powerful woman in history and it's here right so i pick it up i start dusting it and as the cloth is going over her blonde hair i look into her blue eyes and i realize that that white skin is not the skin of Cleopatra and that what I'm holding is not actually a bust of Cleopatra it's actually a symbol of desire and I I look around the room and I suddenly realize that I'm surrounded with portraits of old white men now this room has has not changed in almost 30 years but suddenly I'm different <laughs> because Where's my picture in this room? Oh, wait a minute. My picture is in the back room where he put all the female magicians. And then I realized, wait a minute, that female magician room is there because he wanted to segregate the women away from the men. Then I was thinking about what my place was in magic and holy shit, wait a minute, he... He didn't think I belonged in the Hall of Magic, the main fucking room of magic. He thought I belonged in the back. And I myself have been supporting these ideas. I I agreed for decades that all of these white men owned magic, that despite the fact that the first magic trick ever recorded was on papyrus in Egypt. It was the cups and balls trick, right? Performed in Africa, even though history says otherwise. I had been supporting the legends, the teachers, the icons, the, the traditions of white male supremacy. I supported the idea that magic belonged to white men and everyone that supported white men. The next thing I know, I met Gary's memorial service. Now, he didn't want a funeral because he didn't want people crying over him, but whatever. So here we are at this shitty sports bar where the Magic Club meeting had ultimately ended up. All these magicians from across the city showed up. It was probably the, one of the worst parties I've ever been to. It was just, just a lot of dudes and they watched some fucking PowerPoint on Gary. And I think I was in the PowerPoint, maybe like it was for a split second, if at all. And then after the presentation, they, they had fucking chicken wings and hamburgers and shit. So I've been in magic for over 30 years and I know quite a few accomplished magicians who I actually talked to on, on social media as well, right? So I've been keeping in touch, and when I see them in person, I say hello, and they look right through me, right through me, as if I am the cocktail waitress trying to start up a conversation, as if I'm a complete stranger. All these people acted as if they have no idea who I am. I guess after Gary died, I guess they just saw me as the mail-order bride, that just so happened to be hanging out with Gary. They didn't see me for my talent or my enthusiasm or even me competing in the world championship of magic. It doesn't matter to them. They never thought that I belonged in the magic world at all. 
Even the people that were terrible at magic, these amateurs, they, they never respected me for my talent or my drive. They just looked at me and they just didn't think this was the place for me. These days, I do my own magic. I have this new thing called the Decolonized Tarot, and I'm a psychic entertainer. I do this on Zoom, I do shows in person, and I miraculously did a show uh, during the pandemic in summer of 2020. I was in New York in my theater, and this woman asked me, she said, normally I'm I'm not gay, but I have fallen in love with a woman and I want to know what advice you have for me. Now this was a momentous occasion because normally magic is all about the yuck yucks and the wah wahs. I mean, one of Gary's favorite jokes was, uh, did you hear about the rape in San Francisco? Yeah, two men held down a woman and one did her hair. He's always rape jokes, gay jokes, all this stuff. And here I am, the magician on stage, and people are asking me not only to show them magic, but real magic, right? Like actual advice, which is my favorite kind of magic because magic is real. Magic is not some fucking box trick or something on TV, a TV fucking magic special. Everyone knows what magic is. There's magic nails, magic car wash, the magic of sex, the magic of food. Everyone in the world has been the magician in so many instances. It's the myth of white male supremacy that tries to monetize magic and make it into a socioeconomic event and make it into a secret. No, magic, you don't need a fucking fancy private school to do magic. Magic's for everyone. And that's the biggest secret of all. Magic belongs to everyone. Hello, my name is Morgan, and it's time for me to take you to Merlin's cave. Come on! Merlin was a great wizard who served in King Arthur's court long, long ago. He was very wise and seemed to know all things. But when he wasn't advising kings and casting secret spells, he loved to tell stories to all the children of the land. Did you hear about the rape in San Francisco? I'm gonna cough. (coughs) So come on, follow me, and let's see what stories we can find there today.
That is almost all of this week's episode, folks. This is the late Olivia Newton-John behind me now. And we just heard from Marites Zerbano. Now, Marites is someone I have known for, (laughs) I think, 20 years. And I have always known that we had to get her origin story, as I've always thought of it, here on the show. And so I'm so honored and thrilled that we finally did. We call that one Real Magic. And it was edited and sound designed by Taj Easton, who did such a beautiful job, too. But here's the thing. Right as we started recording Marites telling her story, she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. I was stunned that Marites had the presence of mind to go through with recording the story with us, but it made her more determined than ever to get the story out there. Marites is a single mom And she's just starting chemotherapy now, as I record this, having already gone through a ton of radiation treatment. If you can, please go to GoFundMe.com and search for Marites Zurbano. That's M-A-R-I-T-E-S-S-Z-U-R-B-A-N-O. Or just search for the phrase, Vanishing Cancer. That GoFundMe page called Marites Servano's Vanishing Cancer is where you can help with the cost of all that treatment. And her website is at womanhypnotist.com. And before that, Hope Brush edited Matthew Dick's story and Lucky Thong is the name of that interstitial by John LaSala with apologies to both Madonna and Cisco. Folks, purely out of habit, I usually name the same few clients that we've done corporate workshops for over at thestorystudio.org. But then I thought, oh, maybe they think we've only done workshops for those four or five I usually mentioned. We've also done workshops for Marriott, Amazon, Lysol, Travel Zoo, UNICEF, Merck, Soul Cycle, BET, Johnson and Johnson, and we also do workshops for nonprofits or creative teams. We're doing something right now with Medical Students for Choice. We had a lovely workshop last year for a group that helps homeless LGBTQ youth. All that at thestorystudio.org. Over and over. People say to us, we've had storytelling workshops before, team building workshops, presentation skills workshops, but nothing ever compared to yours because the story studio gives very concrete, very practical step-by-step guidance. One business told us that almost overnight, they made a million dollars just from applying what they learned in our workshop. So reach out to us. We are at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Nothing can 
Nobody. 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 Nobody can do it like McDonald's can. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody else in this whole world say nobody can do it like McDonald's can. Everybody always do it. Nobody Next week on Risk. And I don't know if this is still a thing or not. And if kids still do it, or adults do it. But then again, I'm not a huge hot dog fan anymore. Why are the police raiding our house? Wedgie Wars. Sorry, my cat is sitting right by the microphone. Let me just... Usually doesn't go out to try to move her, but let me just go... It's bleeding. Oh my god. Oh my god.